Hello and welcome to the Hardy Report. My name is Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Ian Byrne, the Labour Member of Parliament for Liverpool West Derby, the co-founder of Fan Supporting Food Banks and a supporter of the Enough is Enough campaign. Ian Byrne, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Edward. As I mentioned, you're a supporter of the Enough is Enough campaign. It's launched in response to the crushing impact we're seeing of the cost of living crisis, something that is predicted to only get worse, the financial situation more dire. One of the concerns of the group and millions across this country is soaring energy prices, with energy prices set to cost two months worth of wages by April next year. What needs to be done to stop people being pushed into poverty by these rising prices or pushed further into poverty? We've already seen people pushed into poverty so far. Yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's a good question. And you're right what you've just said. Now, we've already seen millions pushed into poverty uh, with the risers, but this is, and I've likened it to a tsunami of absolute misery, uh, which is going to hit our communities. It genuinely, genuinely has been keeping me awake at night. Uh, I've got 55,000 people in my constituency, and obviously we're looking across the country as well. And the emails that we're getting in are just devastating, absolutely devastating how people are going to cope. And I got one yesterday, which just encapsulates everything about what's wrong at the moment. It's a, a young, fa- it's a family, two young children. Mum's working 70 hours a week as a carer. Dad's in the public sector. And the, the email was just, how are we going to cope? How are we going to cope with everything that's happening? We can just about barely keep our heads above the water. If the planned rise goes up and the cap's lifted to over £4,000, which people are saying, Alex and Martin Lewis and other people uh, around, that's uh, looking at the sector. And at the moment, you're reading emails and you're saying, this is going to affect millions and millions of people millions are in that situation and they're all terrified of what's going to happen in the next month and there's got to be political solutions there's got to be levers pulled which can actually enable these people to live because when we're talking about warm banks where people are going to be huddling together in rooms to keep warm in one of the richest countries in the world in 2022 well then surely society's got to look at itself and say this isn't working, something's completely broken and we need to fix it. The campaign urges the government to cancel the October price hike and return not just to a low level, but the significantly low pre-April energy cap of £1,277 per year. But that's just a short-term solution. Is it now, in your view, inevitable, as we're seeing even some people on the right suggesting that the energy companies need to be brought into public ownership to address... The, the situation that's going on here and prevent a potential reoccurrence in, in the future? Well, that's always been my belief. Uh, you know, we're talking about national security. We're talking about the infrastructure and security, and it shouldn't be farmed out as it has been for the last 40 years to privateers to make huge profits uh, at the expense of the people within this country. And, you know, for me, the system's been broken for a long time, but now it's coming to stark reality for millions and millions of people how badly the system is broken so for me now i think uh, hopefully the labor party are going to announce today that they're saying cap it uh, at the levels which we're asking for that's a good first step and i know the liberal democrats have come across and said that that's again that's a first step but as you quite rightly said that's a short-term measure 
what we've got is a system that's completely broken. And for me, if that happens with regards nailing that and ensuring that the cap stays as it is, then if energy providers fail, well, then the state should be nationalising them and we should be ensuring that the energy providers are actually taking up the, the, the cost for this as well. So for me, it's that's something which I think we'll be able to flesh out as we have it move along. But public ownership is absolutely key to this. It, it really is, and that's something which I've always believed in. I stood on in 2019 manifesto, proudly stood on uh, when I was elected to Parliament, and that's something which I continue to believe in, and this just reaffirms why we need it so badly. You mentioned about the support that obviously Labour has for returning to a significantly lower energy cap, the Liberal Democrats coming on side with that. We're all obviously aware that even though he admits that the current help is not enough, Boris Johnson is refusing to do anything. Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak are refusing to come together and do anything until late September at the earliest seems to be what's being suggested. Are you seeing Conservative MPs, though, that are willing to come over and support the Labour Party and Liberal Democrats, potentially maybe a recall of Parliament to force through a measure here? Because people can't wait until Parliament returns, people can't wait until September, people are already struggling now. Are you seeing Conservative MPs supporting you on this, or is it solely an opposition movement at the moment? What's going to be significant about what we're going to face as a country over the next month is that this isn't a left or right issue for many people. This is survival. This is how are they going to survive? How are they going to ensure that their budgets can actually cope with what they're going to face if that envisaged price cap rise happens. So be, every constituency MP will be inundated by emails, which I outlined at the beginning of the interview. Everybody will be getting that pressure. Everybody will be rightly uh, coming under pressure from the constituency and saying, but well, what are you doing politically to ensure that you know we can stay afloat? So I think over the next uh, couple of months, we're going to see potentially political orthodoxy turned on its head. Uh, because something will have to happen. And the new prime minister, whoever that may be, this will be the number one issue in their inbox uh, when they uh, take up the mantle of prime minister of this country. And they're going to have to do something extremely quickly to ensure that we don't have 85% of the country, uh, 35 million people going into fuel poverty in the winter. So... We shall see uh, what happens, but I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of pressure being put on uh, the Conservative uh, leadership by its MPs to address this situation. And I think it was interesting, I read an article in The Spectator uh, the, other, the other day, which was about Conservative socialism. And I thought that was extremely interesting. Where Now, this is obviously cutting through right across... Uh, normal political divides because people can actually see, regardless if you're conservative, liberal, dem, or a Labour party member, that the system is broken, it's not working. So, what do we do next to ensure that this does not happen? One of the other solutions that we saw put into place to fund the support for people was the windfall tax, and that was eventually supported by the government after they mocked and derided Labour for, for weeks, delaying support they eventually came on board with that. Do you think it's time for another windfall tax or an expansion of the windfall tax to fund further support, given that it's clear that whatever happens now, further support is still going to be needed? I think the windfall tax is a short-term measure that's needed uh, to alleviate what we're seeing. It's something which can be 
utilise quite quickly. But for me, it's much like when we talk about measures to help food poverty over the summer holidays and more money's getting put into a potential short-term measures to alleviate hunger. For me, the windfall tax falls into that bracket. What we need is systemic change. You know, what we need is what will what so take for example if you look across what's happening in France at the moment with EDF and the energy uh, price cap of four percent, they took a decision to basically take that into complete uh, public ownership, full nationalisation, and they and we're seeing what they can actually do then with state intervention. So for me. The windfall tax is a step towards where we need to go, much like trying to keep the price cap as it is pre-April levels. But there's a far wider question to be asked, which as a society, how do we want to function? How do we want to ensure that everybody in our communities does not face what they faced over the last 12 years uh, since austerity? Uh, hit us and now obviously COVID now the cost of living crisis it's just shock after shock after shock and people are now seeing that the system is just not working so how do we fundamentally rewire uh, an economic system to ensure that it helps the many and unfortunately not the few you mentioned about how people are facing shock after shock after shock despite that the favorite to win the conservative party leadership contest barring a surprise upset will be liz truss she has ruled out supporting a further windfall tax as well as that she keeps refusing to offer substantial amount of support deriding it as handouts rather than necessary financial support for people out there. If the government refuses to act and act quickly, we've seen a campaign that's risen up, that's being backed by people on the right and the left, simply saying that if the government doesn't step in, the people will, and they'll refuse to pay their energy bills later this year. What are your thoughts on on that campaign? And, And do you think we're potentially heading to a place where there is going to be protesting on a mass scale like this against energy companies and the government? I don't really know enough about the campaign to comment directly on it, but I think what we're going to see is that campaign or the aims of that campaign will happen organically because many, many people in my constituency and across this country will not have the ability to pay what's going to be asked of them. They're just not going to be able to pay the rises, which clearly are being outlined as we speak now, and which are terrifying people so much that they're bombarding MPs with emails about their situation. So an abject lack of any action will have serious consequences for the country. And they will be looking for the political leaders in Westminster to come up with solutions which ensure, and I'll say again, that can ensure that their family can stay afloat. And people are looking at this as basically survival. So if political decisions aren't made, which then ensure that they can do that, well, they will look at other avenues. They're going to have to, aren't they, to survive? So from that campaign perspective, I think what they're talking about don't pay. Many people will not be able to pay, and there's got to be a realisation in Westminster that that's the stark reality where we face now. You know, when I sit down with government ministers and I talk to them about the right to food, the humanitarian crisis sweeping our communities, and I say to them, I'm not here on a sectarian mission. I'm here on a humanitarian mission. I'm telling you what's happening. I'm painting you the picture which you need to address. 
that's fell on deaf ears so far. This cannot fall on deaf ears because there's so many people affected. And as I said, the new prime minister, this will be number one on their interstate, and they'll have to deal with it in a manner which ensures this country can navigate its way through where we are now, short term. Another issue that has slipped away from the headlines because of how pressing this energy crisis is for many people, but food insecurity and the challenges people are facing. There are now more food banks across the UK than there are McDonald's. There are more than 2,000 now open across the UK. What does it say about the UK, one of the richest countries in the world, when there are this many people reliant on food banks to feed themselves and their families? Because I know it's an area you're involved in, you meet these people, you hear their stories. What's that saying about the UK and, and you know, the treatment of these people who are ordinary, hardworking people, nurses, teachers out there that are having to come to food banks because they just don't have the money to feed their families? It's a snapshot of how the system's completely broken. When we're talking about more McDonald's, uh, more food banks than McDonald's, sorry, and food banks shame us as a nation. They really do. You know, but you know, when you've got people queuing up uh, to to enter the food bank, it's it's demeaning for them, and it's not something we should be even considering, contemplating, normalising. And for me, everything that we've tried to do since we started fan supporting food banks is about a stick and plaster but also with the political strategy to shut every food bank down in this country and bring in legislation, which is the right to food, which ensure that would uh, happen. And that, for me, you talk about the energy crisis at the moment, taking uh, the headlines and rightly so, but the effects of the energy crisis will be a massive increase in food poverty because people will have to make choices between eating the home or putting a meal on the table. And again, we're talking about one of the richest countries in the world. We should not be talking in these terms. This has been happening a long, long time. There's been a momentum uh, building behind what we're trying to do with the right to food and other campaigns to alleviate the suffering in the communities, but it cannot carry on. It, it just cannot carry on. And this is cutting across the political spectrum now as well, because many, many people uh, are seeing what's happening in their communities. This isn't just targeted on what you'd say in a city areas which can then be pigeonholed, you know, food poverty right across every single constituency. I've sat on committees on EFRA, which I'm proud to sit on, and we've listened to the rural communities, the poverty in rural communities. So this is right across the country. It's right across the UK, and it's something which we need to address. The right to food campaign, I'm absolutely delighted as part of the Enough is Enough Five uh, asks. Uh, we'll continue campaigning for the right to food because it's something which I believe is absolutely moral that we've got children, millions of children going to school hungry, not being able to attain their, maximise their potential because they're going to school hungry and they're thinking about the next meal. How are they going to fill the bellies? It's, it's immoral. It's feels as though it's a real class issue and it's something which we should be eradicating in this country you know i sit down with many many people doctors professors uh, heads of ngos community leaders and this is a huge priority for us to fix this situation and just to bring it down onto a local level one of my one in four of my great city in liverpool are currently experiencing food poverty and that's before the cost of living crisis so we can only imagine what's happening out in communities like liverpool and beyond now you've seen some of the devastating statistics from the northeast and in Liverpool, fan support and food banks run food pantries. And I think we're going to feed about 70,000 people this year. 
that's a snapshot of how the welfare system is broken. Food banks, food pantries, that sort of community offering. It's fantastic that communities have come together to keep each other afloat, but it should not be happening. And it's something which we need to address politically. And again, what we do say is hunger is a political choice because it bloody well is. Do you think there needs to be a fundamental restructuring of the welfare system to reflect the challenges that people are facing in the 21st century? Because we've seen changes through the Conservatives government, but do you think it's time to fundamentally, the next Labour government needs to restructure it to reflect the reality that people are facing and really hit into those different problems that, that you're outlining here? No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we can see that it's it's failed what the Conservatives have done. Uh, to the initial premise of the welfare state is decimated. And what we're seeing now is obviously huge rise in food banks, people not being able to heat their homes, people not to be able to live in dignity. And I think that's something which we need to address as a Labour Party because that goes to the core values of what we are and fairness, equality. That's something which I firmly believe in. I'm also a massive advocate of universal basic income. That's something we should be exploring. And as we move forward into the next decade, we need to look at where we are as a country. I think this is a tipping point for me. This is a moment in time where for 40 years there's been this absolute push towards maximising profits over absolutely everything. And hopefully now what we can see through the terrible, terrible situation people are in is that there's got to be a different way. We've got to go back to how we used to think where it was about the well-being of people. Obviously, you've got to make sure that you're getting value for money, but there's got to be a, a fundamental rewiring of what we are as a community, how the economy works for communities like the one I represent in Liverpool, West Derby, what, what it actually means to people. And at the moment, that's, that for me, that's been lost and we need to get back to them values. Do you think that the, the Labour Party then will be including potentially in the next manifesto, it will be a priority for the next Labour government, this tackling food insecurity, challenging these problems in the welfare state. I'll be fighting tooth and nail uh, to ensure that uh, the rights of food, universal free school meals, which is an element of the rights of food, is included in uh, the Labour Party manifesto. That's my job as an elected politician, as someone who's a, a campaigner around this subject. I was proud last year that it actually went through a Labour Party conference absolutely unanimously uh, to be adopted as policy. It also went through the Trade Union Conference, so the Trade Union movement are backing it. We've got a massive uh, community elements to the Right to Food campaign, uh, to the National Network of Fan Support and Food Banks. We've also had it adopted by mayors, metro mayors, uh, councils right across the country from Newcastle to Cornwall. So there's a massive movement behind this. It's the right thing to do. Politically, we need to look at, as I said, every wiring and ensuring that legislation fits into what we need as, as, a, as a country going into many, many challenges, you know, climate, uh, everything that we're seeing now, the casualisation of labour, there's many, many challenges that we need to face and we need to make sure that the policies address the challenges. And I think we've seen that there's a huge appetite for it. You know, the, is enough is enough campaign. We had no idea over three days that we'd get quarter of a million, it's nearly 300,000 people now sign up to them five core demands. And I think that's a real snapshot of where people are and the Labour Party's got a real opportunity to tap into that uh, and which will take us, I firmly believe, uh, to victory in the next election if it addresses these concerns.
The cost of living crisis, the challenges around the soaring energy prices and the issues that we're seeing with food insecurity in the UK are partly drivers behind the recent string of strikes that we're seeing throughout the country. People who are demanding that their pay goes up at the very least in line with inflation. You've been supportive of striking workers, so have many Labour MPs. In fact, you actually joined picket lines during recent strike actions. Why did you see it as important not just to openly support these workers, but to stand shoulder to shoulder with them as they protested? Because I'm a proud trade unionist. I've been involved in strikes uh, before I become a, a politician. I was involved in a six-month dispute where we were locked out for six months of our factory when we were fighting to keep the factory open and keep them jobs in the area. So I know what it means when you've been on the picket line and you get solidarity from different quarters. And I think it's hugely important that me, as a Labour MP, goes on to picket lines to show solidarity to workers who are in struggle. I believe that's an intrinsic part of my job. Some may disagree with that uh, throughout the Labour Party movement. Some may dis may agree with it. But me personally, I'm elected as a proud socialist and a proud trade union member for Liverpool West Derby. It's something which is at my core. I was proud to work for the trade union before I became a politician as well as an organiser. So I know the benefits of community organising, trade union organising, building power from that area. So it's something which I'll always be proud to do. I think what's been really interesting in the current wave of strikes, what we're seeing is the public support because the public support, whatever sector they're in, uh, the public can see that people need a pay rise to stay afloat. And that's something which is cutting right through. So previously, you could maybe demonise a sector like Thatcher did with the miners. And there's always been, you know, we've seen in Liverpool with the dock dispute, there's been always been an ability to, to demonise elements of people who were taking uh, industrial action, you know, the nonsense union barons, all this rhetoric's getting spoken out again. It's very difficult at the moment for conservative uh, governments to demonise uh, because it's every sector. I was speaking to a nurse in Glasgow over the weekend and she was telling me that an indicative ballot which they'd done throughout all the major trade unions had reached the threshold for industrial action. You know, these are nurses in the NHS. I've had them in, in our food pantry in West Derby. We've had nurses in full uniform. You know, we've had police officers, not in full uniform, but we've told us, you know, we've had bus uh, workers. We've had every sector coming through the food pantries across the city because they cannot afford to live. Because what's happening now with 12 years away stagnation, now the cost of living crisis, it's a perfect tsunami of absolute misery and it's the consequences of decisions that have been made before and people where they are now they can't afford to go to work and keep the family and themselves afloat so that's where the tipping point is that's where obviously the likes of Mick Lynch, Eddie Dempsey, Dave Ward, Shannon Graham they're now speaking from an industrial perspective which is charming with nearly everybody in this country so that's a difference 
but in a different period now. So they're rightly going to go out and protect their members. They're rightly going to go out and ask for pay rises, which is inflation proof, which means their members don't take a pay cut and end up further in economic difficulty and drove into poverty. That's rightly what they're doing at the moment. But what's interesting is we've got the country, I feel, as though behind this movement at the moment, and the government have got to address that, and society's got to realise that when people say is enough is enough, they mean it. An area that, that I have to ask you, given that, that it is a difference that's been quite open within the Labour Party, do you think it was a mistake then, as a proud trade unionist from a party which has proud trade unionism roots, for Keir Starmer to prohibit front benches from joining picket lines and that concern that seemed to be being expressed from Keir Starmer that people from Labour standing on the picket lines would make Labour not look like a party of government, but a party of protest. I think you'd have to ask Keir Starmer that from a strategic point of view. You know, I'm a lowly backbencher uh, and I'm always going to stand uh, alongside workers in struggle. So that's probably why I'd remain a lowly backbencher. Uh, however, uh, you know, what we've got to look at as a Labour Party and a Labour movement, because the trade union movement is intrinsically part of the Labour uh, party and the Labour movement, and it's some of all its parts, is that we've got to look united. So strategic decisions which take place have got to unite the whole of the movements and not fragment it, because coming up to a general election, people are one of us. But a party which is completely united in its aims moving forward. Now, we can always have difference of opinions on areas of policy. That's absolutely right. And we can have discussions and they, they take place and they should take place. And we should be pushing for what we believe is the, the right way to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm always open to listen. However, we've always got to look united. So for me, uh, I think everything that we do moving forward now has got to be really thought out about how it affects the whole movement and indeed the country because the country is behind this at the moment because, as I said, and I don't think we can overemphasise that enough, when you've got 35 million people who are going to be plunged into fuel poverty, but that's a huge part of this country. And I think these everything that we do needs to reflect that as well. There was a significant amount of media coverage trying to focus on this supposed divide that was on the front page of the daily mail i think there were many pages in the daily mail <laughs> covering this why do you think the media go in on this side of things more than addressing the concerns of workers here because as you mentioned there's a huge amount of public support millions and millions of people are going to be impacted if the demands of these striking workers aren't listened to why do you think there are elements of the media that decide to play into this demonisation of strikers, this disunity within the Labour Party, instead of addressing the the real problems that these workers are trying to... Staking's last resort, not like last resort. We want to be losing pay uh, when they're standing on the picket line, when they're trying to keep their families afloat. It's an absolute last resort, it always is. And it's something which, you know, should always be acknowledged as that. But the right-wing media are there to do exactly what you've just said, demonise people who are collectively coming together to organise, to enhance their communities and their families' lives. That's their job. It's trying to have registers between communities and the, you know, the publications, what we talk about. That's what they're adept at. That's what they've done for, since, you know, for, for decades. That's what they'll always continue to do. And we shouldn't have caught out of that. We should not... Uh, back down in, in the face of what they'll do, because they'll do that anyway. You know, we need to stand resolutely behind the people in our communities that are struggling. 
as Labour Party and me as a Labour MP, that's what I continue to do. So, no one's absolutely be fair to the tax if you feel as though you've got to stand on the picket line or support workers in struggle or take on vested interests. Uh, and that's something which we'll have to be prepared for and always be on the right side of history because a lot of them publications have never been on the right side of history. On that element we've seen that some in the government and again some in the media have tried to label this cost of living crisis as an unavoidable consequence of international instability trying to argue there was nothing the government could have done they couldn't have foreseen this it was an inevitable situation how do you respond to that having spoken to people who are experiencing it having seen food insecurity for many years now being a problem. You've just hit the nail on the head, Ed, because this has been happening uh, before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. You know, this, what we're seeing in society, the unfairness of it, the inequality has been happening for decades now. And I think since 2010, the political decision to implement austerity has, has, has been at the core of where we are now, because when we get shocks like what's happened with Ukraine, it's everything's been stripped out from councils to communities, wage stagnation, so people haven't got the ability to, to cushion any blows. And I got an email, I talk about the emails again, but some of them really resonate with me. I got one from an NHS uh, nurse this morning. And she talks about how difficult it's going to be for her. But she ended with, God help those with little or no financial resilience over the next two months. And this is exactly what we've been talking about. It's people have had everything stripped away from them uh, with regard to the ability to cope with this. So for me, uh, when you talk about, obviously, you're trying to, you talk about what's happened. And, you know, we know that there's been uh, shocks with the energy prices from uh, Ukraine, uh, from the Ukraine war. However, this is a long time in the making this. This is a long time in the making. And this unfairness and inequality, what we're seeing in, in society, has been a long time in the making. So let's address the long-term systemic challenges which we, which we faced, uh, which we haven't addressed. And then hopefully we have any future shocks. We can cope with it as a country. And people in my community are not talking about using warm banks, attending food banks, and working 70 hours a week and having to think about these things. It's a model that's wrong. And in one of the richest countries in the world, we've got to take stock of where we are and move forward in a plan that brings everybody with us. If you could enact one policy right now, if you were the government, if you were able to make that decision, if you could enact one policy right now to tackle the challenges facing the UK, your constituency, what would it be and why? You're not going to be surprised to say I'd say right to food. Uh, because the, the submission which we made uh, to the National Food Strategy was of its time. So we talk about two key elements of that, universal free school meals and breakfast for every single child in this country is something that we should be looking at. That could do so much for the actual child, for families, but also for the local economy. You know, we could really make a massive difference with that. And another key element of the right to food change in legislation is the government of the day has to come before Parliament and outline what portion of the benefits ensures that the person receiving it can live in a dignified manner. Now, we talked about, obviously, the failure of the welfare system, the huge growth in food banks. There's two key elements of the right to food which can then put into legislation 
could put into practice and make a huge difference to where we are now with the cost of living crisis. So that's something which we've campaigned for a long time and we've built a, a campaign. I'm proud to lead it in Parliament. So you won't be surprised to hear that if I had the opportunity to do anything within government, it would be to put the right to food into legislation. Ian Byrne, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Edward. It's been an absolute pleasure. That was Ian Byrne, the Labour Member of Parliament for Liverpool West Derby, the co-founder of Fans Supporting Food Banks and a supporter of the Enough is Enough campaign. You can find out more about him on Twitter at MP. That's all for today's episode. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe or recommend this podcast by submitting a review online and sharing it with friends and family. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>